You can turn your Bibles, if you would, with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. I'll give you a second to find that. We're going to read the first 11 verses of Ecclesiastes this morning. Last week we looked a little bit more, we reminded of King Solomon, the life of King Solomon, who uh, very likely either his life, either personally or someone writing about his life, giving us the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. As we read this, you'll think, wisdom? What, what kind of wisdom might this be? Ecclesiastes chapter 1 The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun." Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It's, it has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. This is the word of God to his people. Let's pray together. Lord, we're not going to remember for long what is said here this morning and no one's going to remember me no one's going to remember us but you who know us completely and hold us Lord we pray for your help in these moments as we consider these words words that sort of smack us to reality Lord slow us down help us to Make this journey with this preacher, teacher, king. That we might understand ourselves. That we might know you more. What you have made us for. Lord, we need the help of your spirit even now. Make us attentive, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I called my friend Sean last week because I remember Sean mentioning that Ecclesiastes is one of his favorite books. He loved it. And Sean's a little strange anyway, but I wanted to call him and ask him about this and say, why, why Ecclesiastes? Can you explain this to me? I'm going to preach through Ecclesiastes and I'd like to know why you like it so much. And then he shared with me that really before he committed his life to Christ, he was going to church regularly with his dad and they would sit down and once the, the pastor opened up to the text that he was going to preach out of, Sean would make a choice. Does this, does this sound interesting? Do I want to listen to this or not? And on those days where he wasn't interested in the topic or didn't really want to listen, he said, I, I just open up to Ecclesiastes. And I would just start reading Ecclesiastes. Um, 
because of how real it was to me. Because of how honest these words were. And the Lord actually used Ecclesiastes to, to draw him to himself. Um, and then just a life of service uh, to the Lord. And uh, I don't know if you can share that experience. Maybe you've had a similar experience reading Ecclesiastes. Not the words that perhaps the Lord used to draw you to himself. But you have found them to be unabashedly real and honest. Sort of in sync with the way this world happens to work. And even if you haven't you know, read through Ecclesiastes, um, you're in for a treat because of how honest and assessing the realities of life that it is. It's also one of the more challenging, thought-provoking works in the Old Testament. Um, and I mentioned last week that it's, it's imminently practical, this language for us as a church, but that does not make it overly comfortable. Um, you know, we already heard, as we read through these verses, you know, the author is using some poetry you know, in our Western minds. Poetry, poetry for instruction doesn't always settle with us very well. We've got we to work on that a little bit. Um, just the language of the Proverbs can be more open-ended. Um, so we have to wrestle with that. And Ecclesiastes is a lot of wrestling. Right? Not you know, with family members, living room, WWF sort of stuff. But this is wrestling with the deep questions of life. The importance of everyday life. Um, and that let's be honest, can make us uncomfortable. There, there's a tension, unsettling, when you, when you read vanity of vanities in the, the second sentence. Um, we, we typically don't like to hear these things. They can be somewhat depressing for us as we read them. We want, we want some pick-me-up. We want some encouragement. right? Preach, preacher, share something that I can be encouraged by. I don't have time for this old man reflecting about his life. But that's, that's what makes reading Ecclesiastes such an important exercise for us. Because it slows us down. We have to trust and, and wait for the answers that this book asks. Um, questions like we just read uh, in verse 3. Um, but we have to be willing to go there with this preacher and teacher. Ecclesiastes is, is an inductive study. Most of the time, you know, we're, we'll, we'll say a main point and then, this is often the way I preach, but you know, here, here's the main point and then here's the, the supporting material that goes along with what I've just said. That's not how Ecclesiastes works. He says, here, here's this and here's that and here's that. Keep coming. Here's that. Here's that. And we don't get the answer until the very end. I don't know if I can preach that way, the way he writes it, but it's really it's fascinating and it, it leads us. We have to keep asking as we go through this. What's the point then, preacher? What's the point? What's the point? And he keeps doing this um, chapter after chapter. Um, so how does he start this inductive lesson? He gives us that jolting statement you know, right between the eyes, vanity of vanities. And it's supposed to have that rhetorical effect on us. Like, whoa, what? What did you just say? Some of you are thinking, I knew it! <laughs> it's about time somebody else came to this conclusion. Um, but it's all vanity. So it's important that we understand what that actually means. It's used more here in Ecclesiastes than anywhere else in the Old Testament. 38 times we'll hear this language of vanity. Uh, we need to be careful here because depending on what translation you've, 
you've read or what you may have in front of you, some of the more um, contemporary translations, either the equivalents like the NIV or a paraphrase like the New Living Translation, it actually can be kind of confusing right out of the gate when you read this. Um, those translations will kind of grab you with meaningless, meaningless. Um, and the translators do the best they can with the goals and the audiences that they have in mind. But meaningless is not a helpful translation uh, as, we, as we look at this. Um, the word is much better translated as vapor and breath. Um, our life experience all it is that, that we see and do in this world, it is vaporous. We were out at, at Petty Jean this weekend with the guy, and it was crystal clear, cool. You know, on Friday night, you, could, you can see your breath. All right? As a kid, you're going, making a little choo choo train. I know you do that. Some of you still do that. Okay, it's cool. You can enjoy that. Okay, because those breaths are real, right? You can see them, and they provide that little enjoyment. But go ahead and try to grab onto one of those things. And hold it and show me the breath. You can do that all day long till you are blue with frustration. You will, you will not be able to hold on to one of those breaths. Why? Because it's elusive, it's passing away. And so that's what preacher King Solomon is communicating with this word. All is vanity, all is temporal. It's passing away. When you try to hang on to it, incredibly frustrating disappointing vanity so you know whether we like it or not it's it's a jolting statement and something that we recognize right we know how elusive and how temporal life can be and the frustration that goes along with that we may even be asking the question that this preacher is asking in verse 3 it's the main question of the whole book what's the point well, what does anyone gain by any of this? Gain here, just well, what's the advantage, the profit, some enduring efforts from our labors? Um, my wife is an excellent cook. Um, she makes all kinds of different dishes. She's had to learn to make different dishes that she can eat and we can all eat and stay healthy. But she doesn't love just spending hours in the kitchen. Um, you know, and so it's really nice when the meal is big enough where there are leftovers. And so we can have one of those leftover nights and she doesn't have to spend time in the kitchen and we can endure it. There's some profit there, some hoped for gain from the time she has spent preparing a meal. We want our lives, you know, it's a sort of a microcosm, what we'd like our lives to be. We want our lives to have some lasting value, some leftovers that our toil will count for something. Um, and toilsome is, is the way he describes life. And if that sounds sort of negative, it should. That's the intent. This, this is our work, the, the nine to five stuff, but it's, it's also the challenges and just the troubles of everyday life. You know, God gave us work. It's a good thing. It's an important thing to work, to cultivate of the earth and in our various endeavors. But since Genesis 3 and the rebellion of humanity, our work has weeds. It's hard. It's toilsome. You can't escape it. No matter, you know, no matter where you go or what kind of work you have, there will be toil under the sun. 
I guess that's, that's one more phrase that we, we hear, we'll hear it a lot, um, interpret here. All the experiences we have on this earth, the things that we take in with our senses, the thing that we pick up is under the sun. But it's a vapor. Um, what advantage is there? And so the, the preacher is going to prop up you know, the, the answer to that question, but and we have to go there with him. We have to answer it you know, for ourselves as he takes us along. Um, but also thinking, of, if this is the inspired word of God, which we believe that it is, um, the wisdom of God is conveyed through this teacher. So, so God's going there with us. Um, don't, don't miss the significance of that. God, through his living word, is posing this question for us. He's going there with this, with this preacher into the elusiveness, into the frustration, into the disappointments of life. So hear that from your king, from your, the one true king asking, what gain is there in your toil? Hear our king asking, have, have you thought about that recently? This gain may not be found where you think it is. Let me help you. Let me help you understand why that is. That's what our king is, is speaking to us. So chapter 1 is a good prologue. It gives us the, you know, the main question, introduces these themes that this preacher is going to come back to. Um, life is, is temporal. It's passing away. The, the mechanisms of this world, there's a repetition to them that's out of our control. Um, you know, Things go on without us. Uh, so the teacher is going to, he points to the nature around us and human nature itself here just to get us thinking. In Psalm 90, verse 10, we read the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. So our life is a handful of years and it's forgotten. Um, generations come, generations go. You and I will live and die with you know, the, the overwhelming majority of, this, of the people in this world will never know that we existed. Part of the school activities that, that we do at our house, the, the, Katie and the girls keep these uh, book of centuries. And so they'll put names and events into these um, books and they'll color code it and makes for a, a good way to learn the history and a good reference. But you know, 99.999% of the people you and I know, we're not going to make it into a book like that. To a book of centuries. We don't know the majority of people in this world and we are forgotten. And yet, all the while, the, the cycles of the earth, the different seasons, the weather patterns, they just keep going. So, so compared to that, to the earth, the lives of people, are, entire generations are just a blip. Just a vapor. And so in verses 5-7, through seven, we're told the sun, the wind, the water, they're all a closed system. They follow a pattern. As the sun sets on our horizon, it's going to rise on the other end of this globe. The wind's going to come and go, shift directions. The water is going to fall from the sky. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, we'll see a little bit more. And then it's going to seep into the ground and into the streams and find its way out into the larger bodies of water. And then it's going to evaporate and it's going to keep doing that. It's going to keep doing that. Um, 
And this repetition, the, the natural order and processes, they had been going on long before we ever recognized them. And they'll keep going on long after we're gone. Um, and something that's interesting is this is all happening in the world around us, and we're not giving it much thought. It's kind of in the background of our lives. We're thinking about it now because you know, the teachers bring it to our attention, but it all keeps going. We have no control over the sun, the wind, the water cycle. We can harness these things and try to harness the, the energy that they possess, but we will not control the seasons. We have no control over the, the temperatures, the length of days. But this, this, is, this is the providence of God. It is, it is the Creator who sustains this globe keeps these processes moving from generation to generation. It can be helpful for us to understand. Maybe it can be discouraging and encouraging at the same time. Okay? The, the, the sun, the wind, the water will keep doing their, their thing long after we are gone, long after our kids, grandkids are gone. So knowing that our days are temporary, knowing that they are, are passing, now that does mean that your very best days, the days of, of greatest joy, the days of, of celebration, they're elusive. They're passing away. You know, the things that, that we most want to hold on to, and that's the part that stings, right? That's, that's the, those are the things that, that we want to hang on to and fight for, but they're over in a moment. At the same time, your very worst days the, the, the days of great tragedy. The days that you're most frustrated, most disappointed. Those days aren't going to last either. Okay, they're fleeting. They'll be gone soon. You almost hear little Orphan Annie singing, right? The sun will come out tomorrow. Okay, the good days and the bad days are vapor as the world just keeps on turning. And the teacher takes a closer look here at human nature itself and our, our general experience in the, the breath that is our life. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. I loaded Spotify on my phone a couple of months ago. We put on the, some of the devices we have at the house. And so I've been creating you know, playlists, putting favorite albums on there. And I probably have enough on there where I could sit for four days straight just listening to music but I don't have the time to do that I'm never going to do that and I still keep adding more songs more lists we're just we're never satisfied we just keep adding more more pictures that are on your phone that you will never look at again but they're there and we just keep adding more um, yeah we always want want more Things that are pleasant, things that are good, things that we enjoy, but never quite satisfied. And we get tired and we get weary. And not just human beings here. Did you catch that? All things. The earth itself, with this seemingly endless cycle, gets tired and it gets weary. Here the Apostle Paul, he, he makes it clear in Romans chapter 8 and the language really makes us wonder if he had this lesson from Ecclesiastes in mind. 
said, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So a groaning, a weariness. You can almost hear the trees creaking. Not just the ants, but, but all the trees creaking. We hear the, uh, the creaking of our own bodies. And we can flop in the bed at the end of the day, just, just exhausted, hoping that the next day is long in coming. Nothing new under the sun. Which can sound a little strange. You say, well, what do you mean nothing new? There seems to be something new all the time happening, going on around us. You know, we're always developing new things. We have you know, technology making so much more possible. I mean, look at the architecture, how that's changed all around us over the generations. The methods that we are learning are changing. Um, but none of it is actually new to human experience. You know, just think of a house. A house is a place of shelter. It's a roof over the heads. And that hasn't changed in the history of humanity. It just looks different. Um, you know, we put food in the microwave, which is just a really efficient, fancy way of harnessing the fire, right? It's not, not new. Tanks, fighter jets, machine guns, all really fancy, efficient ways of throwing something that we've been doing for a long time to those who don't agree with us and we want to convince them otherwise, right? We've been doing that. Nothing new. But that... So there's that nothing new under the sun sense, but that's really not what the preacher has in mind here. He's talking about human nature. The toil and temptations and longings that come with being human. That has not changed. The seasons of life we go through, they have all been faced before. They'll be faced again. Sickness, aging, sadness, sin patterns, nothing new. We're not evolving as a species. Um, Things that we experience have been before. Dear pastor, a man who's thought deeply on Ecclesiastes, he said it this way, putting a space station in the skies has not kept our families intact. It's not delivered us from dictators or eradicated a selfish heart. That's the sense here. It may look and sound different for the time period, but as human nature goes, there is nothing new under the sun. And those things that are important to us, important today, forgotten even within our own lifetimes, much less you know, 50, 100 years from now. Just thinking how the, you know, the, the majority of America's, the majority of children in America's schools today could not tell you when World War II was fought. They could not tell you what the Holocaust is or its significance. Um, Most of our high school graduates, yeah, our high school graduates were not around when the Twin Towers fell in 9-11. Moving us into this war on terrorism. No remembrance. Um, Some of you have illustrations of this, you know, what what we read here in verse 11 in your own home. You know, when you moved into the house, there may have been some boxes that you put in stores that you've never unpacked. And however many years later, those boxes are still there. And unless they're really clearly marked, you don't have any idea what's in those boxes anymore. 
No remembrance of former things. So the prologue here sets a, it sets a harsh tone, the harsh reality of life in this world. And, and I, I think that's where, that's where Solomon, the teacher here, wants us to sit. Uh, don't forget this too quickly. Uh, you know, maybe you've read David McCauley's book, The Way Things Work. We use that at our house. Well, this is Solomon's, the way, the way things work. The way things are in this world that God has made and sustains by His good providence. Okay, and the effect on that, or the effect that should have on us is, is very humbling. We should be humbled over our existence in, in this world that, that has operated, will continue to operate you know, well after we're gone. My, my favorite comic characters, you know them, Calvin and Hobbes, made this point uh, one evening. It's just the, you know, the two of them are standing outside and they're, they're staring up in this crystal or this beautiful blue sky at the stars. And uh, Calvin says, look at all the stars. The universe just goes on and on forever. Uh, to which Hobbes puts up his paw to his face and says, kind of makes you wonder why man considers himself such a big screaming deal. And the next, uh, next picture shows them in front of the TV inside and Calvin's like, yeah, that's why we stay inside with our appliances. And not the, the big screaming deal. This, this wisdom humbles us. and encourages us to think about the vapor that is our everyday life. And, and most of us are going to gravitate to one of, one of two places, or we'll go back and forth, from taking this life either too seriously or not seriously enough. We'll put too much stock in this world. We'll be too invested in this this world is just not going to be remembered in a moment, or not enough. We'll just let the ordinary event sort of pass on by without considering them much at all. You know, the, the taste of a good you know, bratwurst over the fire, or the book that you're reading, or the laughter over your favorite biblical beverage, or uh, you know, the, the dirt stain when you're playing outside. A nice nap. You know, the, the pull on the line when, you're, when your uh, hook is in the water there. You know, th- things that are elusive, we can miss them in a moment. Um, so, so the Bible really calibrates this for us. Take life seriously because it's over in a breath. But don't take it too seriously because it's over in a breath. Um, so church, let's, we'll, we'll kind of end with this. You and I are not here to be remembered. We're not. Um, We're not here to make a name for ourselves or to be some success story according to someone who's going to forget us in a moment. We want our lives to count. But Ecclesiastes is that that reminder that we're not here to be counted. Um, We are here to find gain and joy and peace and hope in something or someone that does endure. Something or someone that does remember. So there has to be some sanity in the midst of the frustration. Something to hold on to when everything else is vapor. And that, that's where that's the direction this wise teacher is leading us.
So, if you're, if you're called home to the Lord this week, you missed the rest of the series. Here it is. It is the Lord who transcends all that is under the sun. Um, the Lord God, in the face of His Son, Jesus Christ, gives sense and sanity to this life. He entered into it. He goes there with us. So if we really want our lives to count, then we will shift our gaze and our focus to Him who endures. So the only real answer, the only answer to the vanities of this life is the life to come. Vanity is answered with eternity. So let's be patient. Let's follow this wise teacher where He leads us. For it is, it is the wisdom of our eternal King. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank You for this wisdom. It can be hard for us to, to hear, to swallow, but we want to meditate on it. Lord, teach us to number our days. They are but few. But as we look to You and shift our gaze to You, there we find the purpose and the joy and the peace that You have made us for. Lord, guide us in this study as we think about this. Lord, may it be encouraging to us. Lord, thank You for the calibration of Your Word that allows us to, to take the days seriously, our own lives seriously, and yet not too seriously. For we are held by You and they pass so quickly. Go before us in the remainder of this day and in this week. Incline our hearts to You even as we seek your face. In Christ's name, amen.